Second Kings chapter four. There was a teacher who thought her class was having trouble with self-esteem. And she said, I want you to understand, nobody in this class is any worse or any better than anybody else. There's nobody in here dumb, nobody's stupid. She said, in fact, if you think you're stupid, I want you to stand up. Nobody stood up, and then finally a little boy stood up. And she said, Johnny, you're not stupid. You, I, you don't think you're stupid, do you? He goes, no, I just was sorry. You're the only one standing. <laughs> so I thought it'd be good if we all stood together this morning. We'll all be in the same boat. This message that I'm going to preach this morning, I've preached around the country. Some of you maybe have heard me preach it, but without a doubt, God laid on my heart to preach this morning. And I found this out. Sometimes you don't preach what you want to preach. You preach what God wants you to preach. And uh, this is the message. I believe it will tie right in with Dr. Jorgensen's message to some extent. And I appreciate the truth. I I liked what he said. Sometimes we think that we don't have enough money to get by, but really he made a statement that really... It really helped me. He said, it's not that God doesn't give us the funds. It's that we spend them on things we don't need. God will meet your needs, but sometimes we waste it on wants that we don't have to have. And I appreciate that good preaching. And I pray, I pray you'll remember that. Second Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 7. Then he said he had a Corvette. But anyway, <laughs> Second Kings, Second Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. I do too, but it fits on my bookshelf. It's about that big. Second Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord, and the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. When thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour it out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more, and the oil stayed. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest." Without a doubt, I believe we serve the same God today that we read about in the Bible. I don't believe He's changed. I don't believe He's any different. I believe He's the same God today that He's ever been. Same power. Same ability. He can accomplish the same things. But truth be told, we often aren't seeing God do what God has done. And I began to wonder why that is. I want you to see verse number 6 with the Bible, the last statement. Look at this, this phrase. I believe every phrase in your Bible is perfectly placed. God puts it there on purpose for a purpose. And here it is, the end of the phrase. The Bible said there's not a vessel more and the oil stayed. The Bible does not say they ran out of oil and had vessels left over that could be filled with it. But rather, in direct connection to a lack of vessels to be filled, oil quit flowing from that one pot of oil. I don't believe that God has changed, but I do believe what the need of the hour is, is for an individual, a man, a woman, a young person, to say, God, I'll be a vessel that you can fill with that oil. And if we could just get one vessel, boy, it's hard to tell what God could do. For just a little while this morning, I want to preach just quickly on this thought. The vessel ceased and the oil stayed. And I'm praying you'll give God your life this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the service. I pray for your power to preach. I don't want to preach about something I don't know anything about. God, I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. I pray for liberty. I pray most of all that you wouldn't 
entertain people, but I pray that you would change lives and speak to hearts. And God, I pray that you do something that only you can do. Well, thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. After finishing his first term in office, Calvin Coolidge announced to the country they would not again seek to run for president of the United States of America. They asked him why he wouldn't run again, and here's what he said, because I don't see any hope for advancement. I believe we live in a day where the power of God has been reduced to the explainable, the mechanical, or even the unimaginable. Most Christians are now content to just study history. And they study the power of God with only an educational interest. And they never hope to experience or possess or have that same power in their life or ministry today. Ours is an hour where Mount Carmel's are scorned. Ours is an hour where Pentecost is slandered. Ours is an hour where the axe head has been left to rust in the bottom of the muddy river. It seems like programs trump the power of God. We try to use organization to override our lack of the outpouring of His Spirit. Churches are going for entertainment because they don't have the endowment from on high that we need to have to serve God and be successful. The convicting cry of many Christians today is, where is the power of the Lord God of Elijah? They ask, is God dead? Has time exhausted His energies? Is His storehouse running on empty? Is His well no longer springing up and His water no longer overflowing? Have these dry days parched the spring of God? Can we not see any more great revivals? Can there not be any more powerful preachers? Can there not be any more thriving churches? Is this all we're ever going to see? Is this all we're ever going to experience? Can we not shout the victory song? Is there no hope for any chance of advancement? My answer to those kind of questions is always the same. God is still on His throne. God's storehouse is still full. God's well is still springing over. And I believe great things for God can still be done. I believe we have the same God today that God has ever been in days gone by. But the need of our hour is this. It's not a shortage on the side of God. But I believe we need somebody, an individual, a man, a woman, a young person who will go to God and say, God, I'll be a vessel more that you can use for your glory. Here in 2 Kings chapter 4, the Bible chooses for its subject the preacher Elisha. And in this chapter, God makes much of that man, his ministry, and the power of God that rested upon him. Just in this one chapter, you can study it out and you'll find instance after instance where the power of God was on the life of Elisha. I mean, just the text we read, we see this pot of oil has a perpetual supply able to fill many vessels. Later in the chapter, there's a, a dead boy who through the power of God is resurrected from the dead. Later on, you'll find there's a poison pot of soup and through the power of God, it's made safe and they eat it for supper. Toward the end of the chapter, just a handful of food feeds over a hundred men. Now, that's a miracle any day of the week. But listen, don't forget, all of those instances were nothing more than the fruit that grew on the branch of a man's life that had given himself fully to God. And then God fully empowered that same man. You see, Elisha was the understudy of Elijah. He was Elijah's minister, his aide, and his friend. He'd been witness to all the remarkable things that God had done through the older preacher, Elijah. But my, it's encouraging to me to read and see that just how God blessed and used the old preacher, God blessed and used the younger preacher as well. You see, I believe there are probably some 
naysayers in Elijah's day who said, well, God's through. Whenever Elijah mounted up into the sunset on a flaming chariot to heaven, probably some said, well, nobody will ever do great things for God again now that Elijah is gone. But I'm glad the Bible shows us otherwise. And that same power and that same hand of God that rested on that old man of God, Elijah, it fell on that young preacher, Elisha, as well. And can I just be real honest this morning? As I strive to serve God for my generation, and as I try to serve God in 2016, I need to know the truth that my God isn't just the God that did. He's the God that does. And He's not just the God of yesterday, but He's God yesterday, today, and He'll be God forever. And the same God that used our forefathers and the same God that used our Elijahs, I'm glad His hand can rest heavy on us Elishas as well. I can't live off of yesterday. I need something fresh for me. I need something new for me. I need something relevant for me. And I'm glad that God parted the Red Sea. That's what He did. And I'm glad that God busted prison bars. That's what He did. And I know that God rained down fire on San Francisco and Gomorrah. That's what He did. I know that God shut the mouths of lions. That's what He did. But I need more than what God has done. I need what God can do for me. And I'm glad what the song said. It is no secret what God can do and what He's done for others. He can do for you. And listen to me this morning. If God ever used a preacher, He can use a preacher now. If God ever built a church, He can build a church now. If God ever saved sinners, He can save a sinner now. And if God ever poured out His power on an individual, He could use a life like yours right now. Here in verse 3 through or verse 1 through 7, this is a miraculous story here in the opening verses of the chapter. A widow woman has a great need. Her husband is dead. Her debt is insurmountable. The creditor knocks at her door every day. The only way that she can pay her debt is to give her two sons to that debtor or that creditor uh, to be a, a bondman for him. She's worried. Her heart is heavy. Her purse is empty. But she does the right thing. She goes to the man of God, Elisha. And the preacher gives her a remedy for her troubles. Notice when she got in trouble, she didn't run from the preacher. She went to the preacher. Here in verse 2 and 3, look at it with me. The Bible said, Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me. What hast thou, do, thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. Now listen, one pot of oil was all this woman had to offer. She goes to the man of God, Elisha. Elisha tells her to go to her neighbors, knock on their door, and borrow as many vessels as she could gather. Then bring those vessels back to her house, shut the door behind her, and pour oil from that pot, that ordinary, usual pot of oil, pour it out into those vessels and pay her debt. I can see in my mind as that widowed woman and her two boys begin to walk the dusty streets of that Middle Eastern town. Probably they had a donkey pulling an empty cart behind it. She began to go to her neighbors and knock on doors. Suddenly, willing arms would reach over the thresholds and hand her vessels. I'd say she got some tall vessels. She probably got some short vessels. She probably got some fat vessels. Probably got some skinny vessels. Maybe got some expensive ones and even some cheap ones too. But every vessel that was offered, man, she was glad to take and use it. I can see that woman with vessels under each arm. Probably those boys had vessels stuck underneath their chin. That 
that donkey was struggling under the weight of that load of vessels. They get back to that little old house, and there's that pot of oil. It's been there all the while. They didn't have to go searching. It was there all the time, and there it was. She went and set up an assembly line before Henry Ford ever lived, and she had one boy pass an empty vessel to her. She'd fill that vessel with oil. Then the other boy would take that vessel that's been filled, and he'd set it off to the side. Again, she'd say, son, pass a vessel. Here comes a vessel. Maybe it's one of those skinny ones, but it gets filled all the way to the top. The other boy passes it off to the side. She said, son, how about another one? Here comes one of those little chubby vessels. And it gets filled to the top too. And the boy sits it off to the side. Doesn't matter. As long as there was a vessel, oil miraculously kept coming out of that pot. Vessel after vessel, oil would come and fill it to the brim. And they set it off to the side. And suddenly, that mother said, boy, pass me another vessel. And the son said, mama, there's not another vessel in the house. And immediately, the Bible says that oil quit flowing from that pot. Now, it's striking to take note of the divine order of that verse. The Bible does not say they ran out of vessel or oil rather and had vessels left over. But rather, the Bible says they ran out of vessels that were empty and could be filled, and then the oil quit flowing. This woman was not limited on the side of God. This woman limited herself. Now, I hear what you're saying. The miracle was finished. And the debt was, uh, the the need was met. And and that's a blessing. I know she did what God told her to do. She was obedient. She went and gathered all these vessels and brought them to her house. And and God met her need. Now, that's a blessing. But I've got to ask the question. Don't you think that God could have done more? I mean, what if she'd have found one more vessel? Don't you think God could have filled that vessel too? I mean, don't you think if she'd have reached a little further and had a larger vision and maybe got a little more hungry for God to do I mean, if she'd have got and some more vessels. Don't you just reckon that maybe God had the ability to fill some more vessels? I mean, I'm convinced that oil would have still been running from that pot even right now had vessels been continually brought before that pot of oil. Now, the surface application is real simple. This woman has a need. She goes to the man of God by faith, follows his instructions, and God blesses her obedience. That's a blessing, isn't it? But there's another application that swims just below the surface of the story. If you study your Bible, you find out that oil often represents the Holy Spirit of God. More specific still, oil often represents the anointing, the empowering, or the filling of the Holy Spirit of God in the life of a believer. You find that kings were anointed with oil. David was anointed with oil. The psalmist said, I'll be anointed with fresh oil. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for it anointed me to preach. So you find that oil often pictures the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Likewise, the term vessel all throughout the Bible is used to picture mankind, humanity, or individual people. You read your Bible and you'll find out that Paul was a chosen vessel. Our bodies referred to as an earthen vessel. In the book of Romans, we hear about vessels of honor and vessels unto dishonor. Uh, Your body is a vessel. A vessel is an empty thing. It's made to hold or contain or be filled by a foreign substance. So let me apply this. God has power unlimited. And His power is pictured in that oil. Every believer has a body, and your body is represented in those vessels. Now, let me get a little bit doctrinal. Every person who's saved in here this morning could stand up and testify and say, I am spirit inhabited. 
If you're born again, the Holy Ghost of God resides within you right now. Some of you just found that out for the first... He does. You're a house for the Holy Ghost. When you got saved, part of the package deal was that He moved in to stay. But while every Christian can stand up and say, I'm spirit inhabited, I wonder how many Christians can truly stand up and say, I'm spirit empowered. You see, there's a big difference in having the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit having you. And it's only as you're submitted to God's will and walk according to His Word and live contrary to this world that you can expect to have the fullness of that power coursing through your Christian life. The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess to be filled with the Spirit. And ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. So here's what I'm contending for tonight, today. I believe the very same power of God that's recorded in this Bible... And the same power of God that was available for Christians in the first century is just as available for a young person in 2016 as it ever was for a believer in the past. The same power of God that makes the sun stand still is available for you and I to serve God with today. The same power that upholds the universe is available for you and I to serve God today. You can let the years roll by and the ages roll by and the dispensations roll by. It doesn't diminish It doesn't dilute. It doesn't deter. It doesn't stop the power of God. It's still available in our generation. The power of God is still available for your life. Can I be honest with you? Sometimes I'll preach a meeting. And when I leave that meeting, I usually drive through the night to get home. And when I drive through the night there, it's quiet. Nobody else hardly awake. And I'll begin to think about things. And I'll think about the condition of our churches. I'll think about the condition of our country. And I think about the condition of the average Christian. I get a little bit depressed. Get a little discouraged. And sometimes I'll say, God, is this all that I'm ever going to get to do? Are these the only kind of meetings we'll ever see? Can my generation not have a revival like they had when Billy Sunday was alive? God, is this all that we'll ever experience? Can there not be any more Samson's or Elijah's or John the Baptist or Apostle Paul's? Or are we just going to have to be these spiritual uh, uh, anemic Christians that walk not doing much? Is this all that we're ever going to experience? But I'm glad to tell you that God usually sends an answer back to my heart directly, and it reminds me that He's not dead, He is not done, He's not through, and that same God yesterday is still God today. But the need is this: we need somebody who's more hungry for God than they are for gain, more hungry for God than they are for popularity, more hungry for the power of God than they are a position, more hungry for God than they are recognition in the world. And they say, oh God, here's my vessel. Can I have some oil? I like to read about men from the past, men are in heaven. I read a story about a man named Charles Finney, a great preacher. Charles Finney was walking through a mill in Utica, New York. And as that preacher would walk through the mill, just his shadow falling on the workers would bring such conviction to those people people that they would fall from their chair to the ground and they'd cry out in repentance. It caused such a stir. They shut down the mill to hold a revival meeting there. I'll read that and think, oh God, was Charles Finney one in a million? Can there never be another? But God said, no. He was just a vessel like you. But it gave me his vessel and found out I still had some oil in the pot. I read a story about A.J. Gordon. A.J. Gordon was in a room off to the side of the platform praying. And he prayed like this, God, I can't go unless you go 
go with me. I can't preach unless you preach with me. I won't stand unless you stand with me. A little girl had her ear up to the door and heard him pray and went to the platform and said, Folks, don't worry. The preacher will be out in a minute and he's bringing somebody else with him. Hey, listen, I heard that and I thought, God, I don't want to preach unless you preach with me. I don't want to go unless you go with me. Can there be another A.J. Gordon? Or was he one in a million? And God said he was just a vessel. But he gave me his vessel and found out there was still some oil in the pot. Billy Sunday was a baseball player. One day at a, at a crossroads in Chicago, he sat on the corner and he heard a preacher in a mission. I don't know who the preacher was, but I know who Billy Sunday was. That preacher faithfully preaching. Billy Sunday fell under conviction and got born again. God called him to be an evangelist. He traveled the country and held big citywide campaigns and saw millions walk the sawdust trail. And I thought, man, when Billy Sunday go to town, the bars would shut down. I mean, marriages were put back together. Crooked men got straight. Sinners got saved. And I thought, God, can my generation not have a Billy Sunday type preacher? Can we not have a Billy Sunday type revival? And God said, you could. He was just a vessel. But he gave me his vessel and found out there was still oil in the pot. Can I tell you something? There wasn't anything special about these men that we talk about. John R. Rice was just a man, but he gave himself to God. Jack Hiles was a man who gave himself to God. Curtis Hudson was a man that gave himself to God. And that's what made him special, that they were surrendered and submitted to God and said, Lord, here am I. Send the power just now. Ours is an hour of drought instead of showers. Amen. It's a day of lack instead of surplus. That's right. It's a time of death instead of a time of revival. We have more machinery than ever before. Come on. We have more technology, all the bells and whistles. We have more Bible conferences and we have more Christian publications. We have more Christian radio and we have these apps and we have all the means and machinery. And here we are dead and destitute. Many churches are dying around America. You know why it is? The Holy Spirit of God doesn't fall on machinery. He falls on men. And we need an individual, a young man or young lady, who come to an old-fashioned altar and say, God, would you fall fresh on me? Would you get all over me? Would you pour it out on me? I don't want to be a mediocre Christian. I don't want to be an average Christian. I don't want to be like the dead church down the road. I want to have the power of God on my life. And here's what's exciting. It is available for me this morning. I can be a Spirit-filled Christian. D.L. Moody said the Holy Spirit in you is one thing, and then the Holy Spirit on you for service is another thing. Charles Spurgeon said, let the Holy Ghost come, then anything could be accomplished. Bob Jones Sr. said, it takes Holy Ghost unction to make orthodoxy function. And can I tell you, we ought to get some unction to function. I mean, get a desire and get a hunger and get a burden to be a spirit-filled child of God. I don't believe it's over. I'm not ready to chisel revival on a tombstone yet. I'm not going to trade out my Taurus for a hearse and drive around town saying it's all dead now. I'm not ready to trade out the revival and sing a funeral. I'm not doing that yet. I believe it's still possible to do a work for God. But we've got to get a vessel. A young man with a vision. A young lady with a burden who said, God, here am I. You can use my life. I believe churches could be built if we could get a vessel. I believe sinners could be saved if I could get a vessel to surrender. I believe mission fields could get a gospel witness if we could get a vessel. I believe homes could be put back together if we could get a vessel. I believe hopeless folks could get hope again if we could just get one 
one vessel. Somebody who's not chasing a buck, but somebody who's running after the fresh touch of God on their life. That's what we need. America's in trouble today. Listen, America's in a mess. We're going down the wrong direction, trending in a terrible path. And I'll tell you, our hope is not going to lie in some lying politician. It's not going to rest on the shoulders of, of Washington. But our hope is in the heart of you who've been born again. If you'll give your life to God and get some vision and say, God, I desire your power upon my life. Sometimes we've got to be honest. We're guilty of saying, where's all the power? At? And we blame God. We say we're so dead and so dry. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And then Elijah responds, where are the Elijahs? Or God responds, where are the Elijahs? I don't believe Elijahs are, are extinct. I just believe they're AWOL. Draft dodgers. They're running the other direction. You say, well, Brother Cooper, just doesn't work like it used to for those other men you mentioned. We do preach in it. Our church it doesn't work. Yeah, but you probably never preached with oil. You say, we sing those old hymns. They don't bring in the crowd like the contemporary junk. You ever sung the old hymns with oil on you? Come on. We've tried to put in dress standards for our teenagers and they buck it. You ever tried to teach them how to live the Christian life with some oil in it? Amen. We've tried all the tricks of the trade and forgot what the trade is. Right. It's an old man of God in a pine thicket or a lady in a prayer closet or a young person on their knees in a classroom crying out to God for his power. That's what gets the job done. We sit here and pipe a pessimistic swan song and act like it's over while the while God sits on the edge of his throne in anticipation just waiting for one, one who desire him to get on their life and use them for his glory. The power of God is not a relic. It's not a museum piece. It's not something to place on the mantle. It is available for you and I right now. Send the old time power. The Bible, the song says that Pentecostal power, that sinners be converted and, and saints be I mean, edify. I think we need the power of God again. Amen. We need a vessel. Shame on a generation that doesn't experience revival. Right. Amen. You know what scares me? I don't want to be the first generation of Christians that has to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and explain to God why we didn't have revival. Come on. Shame on a a generation that never does see sinners walk the aisle and get saved in their services. It's a shame to have churches that they don't have one person all year walk the aisle. What's even worse than that is they could care less if that ever happened. Shame on a generation that doesn't see folks in fervent prayer crying out to God to fix the mess that we're in. Shame on a generation that has all this technology and can contact people around the world and yet they won't even walk across the street and pass out a gospel tract. We need the power. It's time for Samson to shake himself. It's time for Jacob to keep wrestling. It's time for it's time for a Joseph to have a dream. It's time it's time for a David to look at his Goliath and say, "I think I can kill that thing." The power of God. Here's what I'm asking you to do this morning: give God your temporal, and let God give you some eternal. Give God your limited, and let God give you some omnipotence in His place. You give God your vessel. Let God pour some oil upon your, upon your life. The Bible says, Romans 12:1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. As I said, I'm begging you. I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He said, I'm not asking for your suit, your skirt, the part in your hair, your necktie. I just want you. Amen. I want you to give me yourself. I want your life. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And today we have a lot of people say, here am I, but please send somebody else. Come on, come on. Can I say when you give your hand to God, it's like putting the paintbrush in the hand of the artist. 
or the pen in the hand of the sculptor, or the knife in the hand of the sculptor, or the pen in the hand of the author, and then God can write the narrative of your life. You say, Brother Cooper, I'm too, I'm too bashful. Let God pour some oil on your bashfulness. Amen. You say, Brother Cooper, I'm not, I'm not as smart as others. Let God pour some oil on your intellect. You say, Brother Cooper, I just don't know, I don't know the Bible like other people know the Bible. Let God pour some oil on what Bible you know. Just give God what you've got and watch what God can do through you. You've heard the story. You ever heard the sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God? A man named Jonathan Edwards preached the sermon, changed the country, brought about the Great Awakening in New England. We're reaping the benefits of that really still yet now. But most people don't realize what preceded that one sermon. For three days and three nights, Jonathan Edwards resigned himself to an upper room in a home and he prayed a simple prayer, and here it was. Three days and three nights he fasted and said, Lord God, if I give you Jonathan Edwards, would you give me New England? He said, God, if I gave you Jonathan Edwards, would you give me New England? If I give you Jonathan Edwards, could I just please have New England? He got up in the pulpit and he read just from a manuscript in a monotone type of a voice. You say, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. God took Jonathan Edwards. And he gave him all New England. Amen. wonder what would happen if a young person this morning would get serious with God and say, Lord, if I gave you my life, would you give me my generation? Amen. If I gave you my life, would you give me my parents for God? Would you give me my brother or sister for Christ? Would you give me my bus route? Would you give me my family? God, if I gave you myself, could I have this in return? Surely in a crowd like this, there's at least one Abraham who's got the faith to step out. And follow the will of God. Surely in a crowd of this size, there's one Noah who'll do what God wants, even though everybody else says that's a waste of time and it doesn't make sense. Surely in a crowd like this, there's one Hannah who'll pray and beg God for a blessing just so she could use it to be a blessing to so many other people. Maybe there's a David who'll stand or a Daniel who'll stand in a crowd like this. Let me give you three statements. It'll tie with Dr. Jorgensen's message. Number one, think about this. These vessels were someone else's property. The Bible said she borrowed those vessels. She didn't buy them. She borrowed them. She didn't own those vessels. They were somebody else's. I'm asking you to give God something this morning that's already His. Dr. Jordanson said it well. You're bought with a price. God didn't give you your life to live. He gave you your life to live for Him. Would you give it to Him this morning? Number two, these vessels were short of experiencing their full potential. The Bible called them empty. Vessels aren't made to be empty. Vessels are made to be full. It's a bad indictment upon us today. How many Christians don't know anything about the power of God? You read the book of Acts and you say, I wish we had an Acts kind of a church where you have to have the power of God to have that. You say, well, I already work a bus route. Yeah, but if you're not spirit-filled, you're not to your potential. I'm already a soul winner. Yeah, but if you're not winning souls, if you're not witnessing in the power of God, you're short of your potential. Number three, I like this. Not only were they someone else's property, they were short of their potential. But listen, they were saturated or filled without any prejudice at all. You see, what do you mean by that? Every vessel that was provided or offered was filled. She didn't turn away a single one. She didn't say, well, I don't like the color of that one. I'm not going to fill it. She didn't say, well, that one's not very expensive. Let's put it off to the side. Every vessel that was offered, it was filled. You know what that tells me? Any one of you this morning that would come to God in earnest and desire to be a spirit-filled Christian, that God would be interested in using you from the back of the balcony to the front. 
any of you young men, any of you, if you'll come to God in earnest and say, Lord, I want you to use my life, you know what? He wants to use your life. Amen. Same thing with you young ladies, any of you, any of you. doesn't matter, any of you. If you're saved, he wants to use your life. I want to ask you something. Could you stand up and testify today and say, without a doubt, Brother Cooper, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. I don't even know that I would have the boldness to say that. But I do know this, I desire that. Amen. One person to surrender this today can make all the difference in the world. Let's fire his closer eyes. That's the thought just to close out the service. Would you listen to me, please, while you're, while you're bowing your head? Not, we don't, don't cut God off now. This is the most important time of a service. You're here right now, and you'd say, Brother Cooper, God spoke to my heart, and I need to surrender my life to him today. I tell you what we need. We need some young folks who will get serious about serving God. And right now, you say, Brother Cooper, pray for me. I want, I want God to use my life for his glory. And you lift your hand with mine. Mine's raised, but you'd raise yours with mine. Say, that's my desire. Look at that all over the building. I appreciate those hands. Many of you all over the place. You can put them back down. Hey, listen, maybe you're here as a young man. And you say, I need to give God my life. I know in my heart he's talking to me, dealing with me about being in the ministry. And I've never surrendered fully. But today I want to come and lay it on the altar and say, Lord, I'm going to do your will. And you lift your hand right now as a young man. Say, that's my desire, Brother Cooper. I see those hands. I appreciate that. Good. In the balcony, I see you. Anybody else? Say, that's me. Hey, that's what we need. We need you. Some of you young ladies this morning, you say, you know what? God wants me to serve him. I don't know exactly where I want to go or what I'm going to do, but I know God's calling me, dealing with me about some things. You lift your hand and say, pray for me, preacher. God's speaking to my heart today. Many of you all over the building. I appreciate that. I'm going to pray. The altar will be open. Why don't we get on this altar? Some of you might need to come pray and say, Lord, if I gave you my life, could I have my lost loved one? Could I have my youth group? Could I have my generation? Folks are already coming. You need to come. You step out and come in a hurry. I'm going to pray the altar be open. Lord, I pray that you'll bless this invitation. Thank you for the message you laid on Dr. Jorgensen's heart. And Lord, the message you laid on my heart. Thank you for that truth that our life is not ours, it's yours. And God, I pray that some young men and young ladies would make that, uh, that decision to be that living sacrifice and to do something of eternal value with their life. God, I pray for power. Upon my life, I pray for power upon the life of these other Christians that you might use us to do something for God in our day. I pray that you'd speak now in Jesus' name.